You can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the app store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing movies and related media. And for this uh, bonus episode, really pleased to welcome back uh, to the podcast a friend of mine. We've got Chris on the line from uh, Pool in Dorset. How are you doing, Chris? Oh, hi, guys. Uh, great to be back again. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, our regular listeners will know that uh, Chris joined us way, way back when we did an episode on uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall, uh, directed by Alan Parker. And um, uh, Chris is an animator. So uh, as we've recently done a sort of strand of podcasts based on uh, various aspects of visual effects. We we had uh, John Walsh from the Ray Harryhausen uh, Foundation on a few podcasts ago to talk about the old school uh, way of um, stop motion animation and rear projection and model effects and things of that nature. We also had Virginia Popova uh, on to talk about visual effects makeup uh, versus sort of traditional makeup. So we thought we'd uh, we'd get Chris on to talk about maybe the the evolution, I guess, of computer generated imagery, the whole sort of CGI world that we live in now, and sort of where it where it started and what inspired it. So um, is 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 that correct, Chris? If I got this right from your perspective? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, cool. We'll talk about whatever. I'm I'm pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, give us give us a bit of a sort of ramp into this i know i know there's a few films that you want to talk about and you have indeed picked a sort of movie heaven and movie hell um based around this sort of idea of uh films that use computer generated imagery um but from your own sort of personal perspective uh can you give us a bit of background um about you know sort of what's inspired you with with computer animation and um you know some some of the early days of it um sure i mean um i guess from a, a quite an early age um I, al- I always wanted to be an animator um some of my earlier inf- earliest influences were um well i used to um stay up late and um make my parents put monty python on just so i could see the terry gilliam animations um i i was also a a very big fan of tom and jerry the the really violent old ones obviously um <laughs> from when i was very young 
And, um, uh, of course, Ray Harryhausen, especially um, Jason the Argonauts and uh, Clash of the Titans was, was a biggie for me because I, I loved the Medusa stuff. That was amazing. Um, and then I saw um, Tron, and that made me think, hmm, people use computers for filmmaking and, and imagery now um, a bit. Uh, uh, except, of course, it... it and then in uh, about 86 or 87, I, I saw a, an open university pro- pro- program about the... Um, issues facing uh, programmers with representing accurately computer-generated surfaces and, and scenery. And it showed a lot of early Pixar work um, with, uh, you know, the programmers, Lauren Carpenter, etc. And um, that really kind of blew my mind. So at that point, I, I wanted to work with art and computers and film, hopefully, or video game. Uh, so I ended up going to university at Bournemouth, uh, and did computer animation as a degree, and uh, then I ended up in video games for fourteen years. Yeah, and that's pretty much up to date. Oh, fantastic! Well, and and you are actually working on a, an animated project at the moment, correct? Or is that something we can't talk about? <laughs> oh no, we can talk about that. It's uh, yeah, it's an animated children's book for the iPad. Splendid. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll. We'll find out more about that at the end. I, I, I'm sure if, if you're able if you're able to tell us that is so. Oh, yeah, um, no yeah. So that's that's cool. Um, okay, so so obviously um, you mentioned Tron there, uh, which is is uh, I guess a, a, a film that, that that all of us probably in our childhood uh, experienced at some point. Um, uh, I know I, I did actually go to the cinema to see Tron. Um, I, I don't think it was my parents. I think it was one of my one of my parents, um, one of my friend's parents that took me to go and see it. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's fair to say, isn't it, that Tron was incredibly ahead of its time. I mean, anybody sort of watching it now would probably look at it as quite sort of simplistic stuff in terms of what it's actually about and some of the terminology used, etc. But in 1982, when this was actually produced, uh, this, this was pretty leading edge, groundbreaking stuff. Am I, am I writing in saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they, they used about four firms, uh, Disney, to uh, in order to produce the CGI for the uh, for the movie, um, the the most um, prominent uh, companies were Triple I and uh, Magi, and there's about twenty to thirty minutes uh, of CG in the film, uh, depending on where you read about it. And um, for its time, it, it had the most CG of any film uh, produced to date, and and held that for quite a few years. No, so I was going to say, so it's the, there's actually more cg in that than 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 one often realizes because because of of course even though the whole film is supposed to be digital in cg it was obviously done in a very analog format for the for for, for the most part um with the exception of those uh those said digital scenes that you've talked about yeah uh, yeah i i think that the 20 minutes might include backdrops and things as well um but uh but yeah, it's certainly set a, a template that that wasn't really matched for for a large number of years. I mean, films have only really now begun to use uh, very large amounts of CG in their production, like say the the Marvel movies, for instance, or um, or, or Pixar, for instance. I mean, um, uh, Toy Story obviously was the first um, computer generated um, movie completely in ninety three or ninety four. I forget. 
Okay. But it was the first no. of its kind, and, and that's the first film to use um, CG completely in its production. Right, right. Cause, so, um, yeah, it was uh, very I'm, groundbreaking. I'm no, cool, cool. Because um, am I also right in saying, obviously, from the same year and, and something we always talk about is, um, you know, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, uh, the, the Genesis effects scene, that, that was some early um, CGI in film as well, right? Yeah, it, it was um, commissioned by Pixar, in fact, when they were still a re- research house more than, more than people who were thinking of doing movies. Uh, because back in the early 80s, the... Um, the computer graphics companies that were there were, were largely involved in research for um, a realistic representation of uh, objects for film, for film and television um, purposes. And so um, the the other the, the other thing I want to uh, mention again, this is more of a question than a statement, but I seem to remember as well um, in terms of sort of early CG in film, um, the young Sherlock Holmes got mentioned, and it was that was that for there was like a stained glass window character. Was was that kind of like the first sort of uh, CG animated character in a film? Uh, have I got that right, or is that waffle? Probably the um, the MCP from Tron was the first computer generated character in a film. Right, I could right. be wrong. Uh, but he was quite crude, uh, certainly by today's standards. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of, um, I suppose, a, a fully animated character in a film, he, he probably is. Right. Uh, okay. Seeing as he had arms and legs and things and moved around rather than just a big rotating head that talked, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a piggy face thing <laughs> that you had in, in, in Tron. But I, I, I mean, Tr- Tron is, is a phenomena in itself because, like, um, you know, this sort of idea, you know, really all, all we had up to that point as a sort of point of reference because this this was sort of before really even the sort of home computer um boom started and and really it was it was more the arcade games which which were the sort of points of reference um you know the the, the likes of you know pac-man space invaders and all, and all of that stuff and um y- y- you know i think the uh you y- you know hats off to 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 the filmmakers and 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 if you like to disney for sort of taking a chance with this at the time um because you know the idea of a of a person getting sort of digitized and put into a uh computer environment and having to interact with things like bits and bytes and whatever you you know now now this 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 is common we use the word program and app and bit and byte and you know k and all that sort of stuff um in everyday life but in 1982 i mean i know we were just kids but i i would imagine that um you know those sort of things were were pretty uh pretty out there as far as um uh sort of the general vernacular was 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 concerned um you know would you say i was right there yeah it was pretty specialist i mean i I only read about that stuff because i i bought a a how to program your computer for children about 1982 or 1983 so i just started to get my head around sort of i suppose the maths and the programming and stuff involved with like really basic stuff on on home computers uh even though i I don't remember actually owning one at the time (laughs) right right no like you were doing your, your you would no you were doing your research chris there's nothing wrong with that right <laughs> that's my excuse i'm sticking with it 
Absolutely. Sounds like a good one. Um, Simon, what, what about you? Did, did, did you, I mean, you're, you're, you're a couple of years younger or whatever. Did, did you see Tron when it first came out or was it sort of a home video thing for you? Uh, it was a home video thing for me. Um, I didn't get to see it at the cinema. Uh, though I did see uh, Star Trek to the Rafa Khan at the cinema. So. <laughs> oh, you lucky, you lucky git! You see, mine was the other way round. <laughs> yeah, so I was got, I got snucked in to see it. So you know, you got to know the right people. Um, <laughs> but um, what I wanted to say was, um, I was, I got a copy of uh, Tron from the states uh, when it came, when it first came out on DVD, and it had a very uh, comprehensive uh, making of documentary on it. And um, the director of it, uh, Stephen uh, Lisberger, is that correct? Lisberger. Lisberger. Um, he said he got the idea, well, the idea of using computer graphics in the film from his previous uh, uh, feature, which was Animal Olympics, which was fully animated apart from one... Um, sort of intercard they used where it was fully CGI and um, they so the in the in the film Animal Olympics they would have you know sort of intercut stuff to you know to make it look like it's you know you are watching the Olympics but of course all the characters are made up of uh, cartoon animals and um, from that he wanted to sort of push uh, computer graphics uh, into into film, and uh, you know, what uh, better way to do it than to do it in the world of computers? Because then it was the fact that they looked cartoony didn't matter because you were in this in this world. Though it's um, as much as it, it was a forerunner for um, you know uh, CGI. Um, it also used a lot of old school effects, especially when it came to the <clears throat> the costumes that were used, because they had to be um, sort of animated, uh, frame by frame. Mm-hmm. The the sort of it was all shot black and white. They added all these the the lighting effects that made it look like they were you know the light was coming from within within them within the suits. And, um, you know, hours, months, days were spent just, you know, hand painting these uh, these frames, you know. And I think now if to, to do the same thing, it, it wouldn't take so much time. It wouldn't be so painstaking because you could do it all in a computer. But it's funny that when uh, it came to the sequel Tron Legacy that they actually did the suits practically that the lights and the suits were all built into the costumes even though uh sound wise they had to get rid of this horrible hum that the suits would emit right yeah that, no, that's quite interesting i mean it it, 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 it is interesting that a film that uh that, that that you know did use you know some of the very earliest uh cg sequences in 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 film um you know for the most part you know the the most of the action and certainly the most of the stuff with characters themselves was actually um 
you know, really, really old school filmmaking. And like you said, shot in black and white with with people in 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 leotards with um, sort of, uh, you know, black tape and whatever to represent you know where the where the the, the mats and and therefore the opticals would would go uh you know further in the process and i i also understand that the reason that they all wear kind of weird sort of like helmet type things is because uh they they, they couldn't actually deal with with the hair uh at the time the, the, you know they they had to they had to cover up everybody's hair because um there was no way of actually rendering that and uh mm. It caused problems with with the, uh, the the you know the the interpositives and the uh, and the various mats and stuff that they that they had to do um, on different passes of the of the thirty five mil and stuff, which is uh, you, you know it's 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 quite bizarre when you when you look at it that way, and and yet the finished result looks so high tech and so um, you, you, you know what what we'd consider now CG. Mm. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's, again, we've spoken about this on many other podcasts where it's a case of uh, coming up with solutions for working within your means. I mean, I know hair can still be a a problem when it comes to uh, blue screen or green screen. You know, it's it's always the fun part of uh, a compositor's job trying to remove, you know, to cut round the hair, you know. It's uh, it still can be a, a pain in the arse. <laughs> I happen to know a funny story about that. Um, when I was a student, a bunch of us went to um, the cinema in Brighton to attend a screening of Death Becomes Her, and they had uh, an animator from uh, ILM uh, or somebody from ILM, anybody, anyway, to um, do a Q and A and stuff after, and to, to explain how they did the effects for the film, and. Um, the bit I really remember is there's a scene uh, in the film where uh, Meryl Streep's got her head on backwards and she's kind of walking and her ponytail's going crazy at the back of her head. Mm. And um, what they did was they um, they filmed it just with her real ponytail and they said it didn't look right. So they actually got a ponytail with a pole on it mm-hmm. and they actually got to flick that around behind her and they were better than her real ponytail. So that's the one they used in the film. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. And that's that. That's another underrated Robert Zemeckis film, isn't it? If memory serves, it is. It is a Zemeckis film, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. No, abso- absolutely. Yeah, I remember that. So, um, uh, okay. Well, I mean, and uh, and Chris, in terms of actual Tron, then, because I'm guessing Tron is your your movie heaven pick, is it? Is in terms of this? Uh, yes, it is, and probably slightly controversial, but uh, it's the hill I uh, die on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. I mean, um, I mean, are you able to sort of elaborate on on the on the actual, you know, which sequences in Tron were in fact CG then versus the the, the stuff we've just sort of talked about that was done in a sort of really old school optical fashion? I mean, blimey, okay, yeah. Uh, sort of, yeah. Um, I mean, basically anything with people in it was uh, was done using the, the high contrast um, photography method, um, with the um, reverse mats to put the the coloured lights on their suits and stuff. Um, I suppose uh, the light cycles is probably the most memorable scene in in the film uh, for CG, and that that was all done um, by Magi, I believe. Um, or was it done by Triple I? <laughs> 
we'll, we'll put it this way. Put it put it this way. That question there actually, um, you know, it just goes to show you that uh, that Tron really was an early pioneer for for what they do now because you know we 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 recently were talking about the uh the avengers infinity war and the effect that so many different effect houses in fact pretty much all of them that we could name uh were involved in in the making of that just just because of the amount of um you know, shots that had to be done and getting things done, you know, the, 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 the sort of workflow, if you like, and the throughput to get it done on time. And and I guess, you, you know, in a more simplistic level, they, 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 they did the same on Tron in the fact that they couldn't give it to one effects house to come up with those different sequences. They had to split it over a number of different companies um, uh, to produce it. Uh, yeah, of course, that's absolutely true. Um uh, I've already mentioned the company's concerned, and um, uh, they uh, basically riffed off of the uh, concept artwork of uh, I think Sid Mead and uh, Mobius were involved in the uh, in the uh, original art for the uh, film. That's right. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah the fact that the the thing um, works so well, I think, um, is is quite a testament to how well they collaborated with each other on the thing. Because it'd be really easy for them to use different house styles for for the animation and that the look of the whole thing and it, and, and it would come out looking like sort of three different films if you know what i mean it'd be really odd yeah yeah, um, yeah especially yeah. especially given that you know um each house was using a, a different uh, way of rendering effectively i mean it was probably all ray tracing in those days but um you, you still have different ways of writing the algorithms and uh, it's a miracle it all produced this kind of single look yeah, no, it definitely had a cohesive look um, across it, and, and and you know, I would say definitely a, a look that was that was ahead of its time. Um, in fact, I think that was uh, that that if if there was a failing to Tron, um, it it probably was the fact that it was somewhat ahead of its time that uh, that, that that you know people couldn't necessarily. Um, except the concept of it whereas as i said it sounds like you, you know if you were to tell if you were to tell a child um, you know a 10 year old now that they, they'd say oh you know it'd be like that scene in back to the future he goes that's like a baby's toy yeah but um but but but, but, but you know at, at, the, at the time i suppose this was this was you know really um really sort of out there and uh you know just a a whole new way of uh of, of thinking of things and and um a bit of a risk i guess yeah it was a hell of a risk and unfortunately didn't make its money back at the time <laughs> but uh, that's that's the way of films uh, quite often is that, that they have sort of a second life on video and, and dvd and blu-ray and then they become appreciated for what they really were i mean it was nearly 30 years before we got the sequel wasn't it so um you know and 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 i don't know um does any do either of you guys know sort of what what's happening next because obviously i i think of the sequel as being quite recent but then i realized it was actually 2010 so it's it's eight years ago already which is bloody scary and um mm. i've not sort of heard any whimperings about another film in the in the series i've heard that they were going to do a cg um tv series which i don't know whether that's whether that's something i've missed and and that's actually out there they did do an animated series uh they did yeah um one that concerned um uh tron before he turned into a uh, spoiler uh razor um 
But um, yeah, they did like um, it was for Disney XD, and um, I believe it was called Tron Uprising. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And so it was a uh, CGI animated series, and it only ran for one one series, and then uh, it got. I don't know if it got cancelled or if it just uh, that was the plan to do one series. But um, but what did you guys think of um, of the sequel? Because uh, you know, as uh, being fans of the original, I I, I really liked it. Um, it kind of brought the look and uh, the sound of the original up to date, and um, the visuals were really good, and they're, they're really impressive now. Still, um, not a lot of films can really boast that, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a pretty crazy story. Uh, basically, Clue wants to. Um, bring his little computer people into the real world and overtake the real world, which is, uh, well, I guess it's something on your computer could think up really, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I really liked it. The, the, it was all exciting and fast moving and the CG was lovely and, uh, the music was excellent as well. Uh, and the sound design was, was phenomenal. Yeah. I do love the soundtrack to it. It's, it's one, it is certainly one of the best things, uh, you know, that especially because it was done by Def Punk, who uh, are very much into their sort of sci-fi, as they're as they're a couple of robots. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, I, I mean, I I I could do a rewatching it. To be honest, I, I do have the um the double Blu-ray set with the um, original film and and Tron Legacy. Um, and I, I meant to sit down and watch them both before this, but, uh, sadly, um, <laughs> uh, what with work and everything now, I, I didn't actually get the chance, but, um, I am going to see the original Tron at the Prince Charles, uh, cinema at the end of this month. Cause they're doing a, a 1982 all nighter, um, which is, yeah, it's pretty cool. It includes like E.T., The Thing, Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, um, Mad Max to the Road Warrior, um, Tron, and Blade Runner, I believe, is is the lineup. And uh, you know, pretty much all of those films have been have been discussed in 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 depth on this podcast uh, over over the run of the podcast. But um, yeah, it's it's so I, I figured I'd save myself for that. But I really need to see Tron um, Legacy again. Because I did see it when it came out. I saw it. Uh, I actually went to see it in 3D IMAX at the time. And um, you know, like you, Chris, I was I was really I was really impressed with the because because they'd updated it, but you could still sort of believe it was just an evolution of the world that we had, you know, 30 years earlier. Um, so uh, you know that I, I felt that the aesthetic was close enough that you believed it. it it was in the same universe in the same world but you know advanced enough um you, you know to to make the sort of evolution of technology as we've as we've had in the real world um you, you know believable in that and i thought the story was was quite interesting i was really glad they were able to get you know um a couple of the original actors back for it and uh uh yeah i mean as far as sequels went um you know, I know it was trying to be this sort of sequel stroke reboot type thing. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I, th I thought it worked. I thought it was entertaining. Um, and uh, yeah, nice design. And, and like you said, a fabulous soundtrack with it. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed it, and and I think, you know, there's there's room for more Tron stories. I'm absolutely certain of that. Uh, yeah, I certainly think there's there's room for more Tron stories. Uh, unfortunately, I read um, the other day that there's not going to be a Tron three because um, apparently was it Garrett Headland was um, Flynn's son in in the Tron Legacy. Yeah, um, that's correct. He, yeah. He was um, apparently reported as saying that because uh, Tomorrowland, the George Clooney movie, uh, performed so badly, they were going to nix um, Tron 3, unfortunately. No. I've, I've heard there won't be another one, but, you know, maybe give them another 10 years and um, <laughs> they might go for it again, eh? Oh, scary, isn't it? Scary. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're always looking for that next thing. In fact, one, one of the things, I mean, I know we're sort of moving on to Tron Legacy now, um, where, and not the original, but I, I want to ask a question there because that's quite interesting, is uh, we talk a lot now about, you know, the, the sort of CG, the realistic CG character um uh you, you know um imagery that we have in sort of modern films like you know obviously recreating peter cushion for uh, rogue one and you, you know various other films but this kind of you, you know eight years ago this this kind of tried to sort of make jeff bridges um look 30 years younger again uh being a big jeff bridges fan myself you know it was, it was quite interesting to see that but what do you, what do you think i mean some people were really mixed about that and the kind of uncanny valiantness of it and uh i just wonder what you guys thought of that uh my biggest i mean yeah the, the younger jeff bridges effect wasn't entirely su- successful in tron legacy and i think it's um in the speech uh, when he spoke, it looked like his mouth was kind of stretched out a bit strangely. Um, and it just didn't look right. Um, and I, I think a lot of people did did spot that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Um, the uh, young Jeff Bridges uh, effect didn't quite work so well. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's one of those weird things where it, yeah, I, I get the idea of why they did it, but they could have, they could have had somebody else play Clue and it would have been exactly the same. Yeah, it could have been any actor. I mean, if they they if they if wanted, they could have seen if they could find somebody who kind of looked a bit like Jeff Bridges. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Or, or it could have been some kind of digital recreation because it's not like that sort of thing wouldn't have been possible in sort of the Tron world, I suppose. Mm. So it could have been a completely different actor who could have been Clue because wasn't Clue tortured to death in Tron or something? I think he met an end. Of yeah, if if yeah. if Clue was the the character he sent in to uh, to find um, the file, the file, yeah, then yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it just goes to show you how quickly all this, uh, you know, from a technological point of view, have, has evolved because obviously. Um, they did a similar thing with with you know Kurt Russell in in Guardians, and uh, obviously Michael Douglas in in Ant Man and whatever. And I think in in those films you 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 can see the evolution of this when you sort of watch them back to back with what they did with uh, with Jeff in um, in Tron Legacy. Well, I have to say, I think um, it was very successful in Ant Man. You, you couldn't really tell. But in Guardians of the Galaxy two, uh, Kurt Russell he, he did look really, um, really waxy. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that was successful. Uh, it's it was hot where they were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I was going to say maybe it was in danger of melting. Mm, indeed. There you go. <laughs> I just want to say, it's I, I, as much as there, it's it's interesting to see these experiments. It's uh, you think that there are other ways they could have shot round it. I mean, they could have easily have just had um, with Kurt Russell, especially at the beginning where he's in the car with the mum. Uh, you you could have seen bits of him. You didn't have to see the the whole effect. You know, we don't we don't need to sort of be shown everything. Absolutely. To, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I thought I thought the uh, in Rogue One when they had uh, Grand Moff Tarkin's uh, reflection in the window, I thought, oh, that's very clever, because you know, because it's you know, it 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 it, it, it looks it looks alright, but then when he turned round, that's when the effects, you know, was like, oh god, you know, okay, it's not too bad, but it's you could just went, oh okay, that's very very uncanny valley. I agree, and unless yeah. it's absolutely, absolutely right, it it just falls into that because we're trained to notice the tiniest uh, changes in body language or uh, or even colour of the face. Mm. Uh, I was I was reading a book by Paul Ekman a while ago, and um, he he talked about how faces very cha- subtly change colour according to mood and how um, you know we're we're trained innately to pick up on that. Um, of course, because you know we're all people, and and we have to relate to each other, and we have to be able to read each other as well. So um, there was that, and um, yeah, uh, with Rogue One, I, I wondered if um, maybe Grand Moff Tarkin might have been better done if he'd been one of those funny little green holograms that they always have, yeah, rather than actually appearing as a main character, because then that would have made the CG easier, uh, and uh, you, you also wouldn't have had any risk of falling into that uncanny value that, that we had exactly and i also think um i'm not sure but i think maybe uh those were part of the reshoots i mean i'm sure i mean from i remember from seeing the trailers i'm sure darth vader so i had a bigger part to play than uh grand moff tarkin but uh until until lucasfilm gives us that alternative cut we'll never know yeah yeah well will they put the money into that who knows um but uh no it's 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 uh it's it's interesting i mean um you know i i think i think tron even though at the time uh was a success and it stopped um it, it actually stopped disney's live action uh films for some years didn't it i i believe this 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 was kind of a sort of uh a misstep in their in their journey and and they kind of shelved live action films for some while um because this hadn't done so well which which as i said is kind of ironic as it's a film it's really not about live action <laughs> it, it's it, it's funny it's an analog film about the digital world and uh y- y- you know i think that's what's kind of a amazing about it but um it, it's it's definitely one of those sort of iconic uh massively of its time although massively ahead of its time and um you know i think has inspired a lot of filmmakers since you know um with, with, with other things that we've got along the way um you know some good and some bad <laughs> i mean I, I remember when i was a kid i don't know whether you remember this chris i always used to uh say um 
you know, wouldn't it be interesting if we had a Tron 2 and in Tron 2 it would be the reverse. So the, 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 the CG characters would come out of the video game into the real world and, and, and battle with us in the real world sort of thing. And uh, and then we get <laughs> be, being being a child of the uh, of, of Glenn A. Larson's uh, sort of peak era we 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 get auto man which is was exactly that (laughs) Uh, yeah we did Uh, although with auto man i believe the effect was done completely differently because that was done using that uh what they used in superman the movie for the krypton uh suits using using that sort of 3m highly reflective tape that's right yes shine back onto the into the camera and, and again a massively painstaking uh you know effect to do because e- even though they could um shoot it in camera they obviously then had to go back and create the uh y- y- you know the um other composites for the uh you know the the sparkly image stuff that that, 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 that emanated from it so um uh but hey, we got a Lamborghini that could do ninety degree turns, so <laughs> definitely inspired by Tron. <laughs> I'm sure that made it all worthwhile. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. I have to say, it wasn't one of uh, one of Glenn Larson's uh, uh, strong points, was it? Tron. It was, I'm sorry, <laughs> Auto Man. It was kind of. Uh, it was kind of. He did what he did with many things, and he he kind of. Um, you know saw took something that was that was popular on the big screen and did an adaptation for the small screen and and sometimes that worked really well but um yeah i think in the case of auto man uh, maybe not so well i don't know i don't know there's probably fans out there i don't know (laughs) i believe i remember reading about uh the uh the lamborghini in it doing the uh 90 degree turns uh, if it if it was actually real the the passenger's neck would get broken <laughs> yeah but does the honest junior live to tell the tale yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe they wore neck braces or something and <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's all part of the movie magic indeed indeed so um as we were talking about cgi characters and stuff um what do you guys think of the characters then in Avatar, where they were in a fully sort of CGI animated world? I thought it was very well done, to be honest. It, it was uh, it was terrific. I mean, the look of the whole thing is pretty much faultless. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when, when we talked about Cameron, uh, who obviously you know for a lot of his career has been involved with uh, with various aspects of CGI. Um, but uh, y- 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 you know, I, th- I think I-, I said at the time I kind of I kind of picked Avatar as as my movie hell, and it wasn't so much that I thought it was a a badly made movie. I just thought in terms of uh, you know the storytelling, etc., it wasn't as good as and strong as some of his other work. But of course, absolutely revolutionary in terms of uh, the technology developed to actually make that film and and the look of the film was it was amazing and it's true that we wouldn't have films like you know the 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 new rebooted prequel uh planet of the apes series um of movies without 
you know the the, the technology that was um that was developed for avatar so um you know and of course we're, we're going to get more of this now um so it'll be interesting to see where, where they take it but um but no I, th- I think it's i think it's incredibly well done even though as said on that previous podcast it's 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 certainly not my favorite of of james cameron's work yeah well i mean we're, we're talking about cgi so i mean we have to talk about uh, james cameron because he's a big big pro- uh you know proponent uh, for uh, cg yeah no, definitely i mean right right back to sort of your water tentacle stuff in in abyss and and obviously further developed for you know terminator 2 judgment day and uh you you, you know right the way through i mean yeah de- def- definitely that guy you, you know in much the way lucas has done as well is is, is sort of um pioneered pioneered the technology and of course you know peter jackson and and many other many other filmmakers that we've we've sort of uh touched on as as our sort of um go-to people if you like for our generation <laughs> well that's it because um we, we we spoke about this on the peter jackson podcast about the fact that uh he started up a cgi company for the frighteners and then when that film was finished he then looked for another property so that he could use his company and it not to be sat there and he, he was looking for something that was uh you know would involve a lot of cgi and so he looked at fantasy and and you know decided uh why not do lord of the rings so it's it's that weird a uh, weird thing where people think that uh peter jackson went out to make lord of the rings because um because he's uh, he loved the, the story and everything but in from from his own words he said that he he went out there to do it because he had this company and uh you know he wanted them to be working no absolutely yes um no i mean it it, it, it has evolved i mean uh, you know chris i mean what what are your one one of the things one of the things we sort of touched on and we didn't go there too much but one of the um things when john walsh was on um that we talked about was he he sort of said you know is things like cgi and and model and miniature work and 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 that those sort of optical uh motion capture and and the motion control effects etc is it actually dead now and 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 he believed that there may be a renaissance in filmmaking where we start going back or we start having films some cgi but some going back to those more traditional um you you know optical methods uh do you have any thoughts on that chris as someone who sort of is in that industry uh well well certainly i I don't want to see the the older crafts die out uh i i still really enjoy them um i mean any sort of henry salick film i I still love watching you know like james and giant peach or um uh, nightmare before christmas for instance uh, are really good examples of uh old what you would call old-fashioned model work and stop-motion animation um, and there are still a number of universities that teach this stuff because, uh, of course, you've still got companies like Aardman who will um, mm-hmm. pick up animators and still do most of the work um, in that way, which is great. Um, well, it's like Wes Anderson's latest uh, film, you know, Isle of Dogs. That's gone back very much to the the uh, old sort of claymation type animation, hasn't it? Absolutely. And it, it looks terrific, what little I've seen of it so far. So, um yeah, it looks absolutely lovely. And uh, there's something a lot more tactile about um, 
using models and armatures and things that you you sometimes don't get from CG. Yeah, no, some of those in, in camera, um, you know, uh, effects where uh, you're using miniatures and and different composites and stuff like that can 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 work really well. I mean, my my, my kind of view on it all really is, you, you know, at the end of the day, it's about storytelling and and using what tools are there to to to, to do it. But in terms of I sometimes think personally, some of the best results out there are when you combine the two. So you use aspects of older school, you know, photographic um, uh, techniques and tricks, if you like. And um, then at the same time, you're, you're using uh, computer generated imagery to sort of extend and enhance that. And, and very much the same with stunt work, you know, traditional uh, real action stunt scenes and stuff that are then enhanced with, you know, wire removal or enhancing explosions and blood and, you know, stuff like that kind of usually works works the best, I think. But, you know, I, 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 film is a combination of all the different arts and crafts. And uh, I think as far as VFX goes, um, you, you know, that should be the case there too. Just as you were sort of saying that, the film that pops into mind that uh, that did all that and was, you know, really was kind of at the forefront of, you know, photorealistic CGI was Jurassic Park. Yes, absolutely. Because, yeah, because that was a film where, you know, we got, we did have CGI dinosaurs, but it was mixed in with uh, animatronic ones and, uh, you know, them actually being there on the set and stuff so that's right that's right and also stunt work with face replacement and stuff like that i mean filmmaking is a is a magic trick you know you you bring things to life you you know you go out to outer space or you go to places where you know people can't go to and stuff like that it's a trick it's you know it's a magic trick that's you know 24 frames per second and uh, so you know it, it it's uh, you know like any good magic trick you you don't want to see the seams and stuff but um but that that's the thing about cgi that i am not a fan of is that whenever you talk about how fi films are made you know and people go oh how how is that done they just go cgi <laughs> when it may not be the case yeah no absolutely absolutely it doesn't all need to be about um you know cities getting destroyed etc and uh often if you if you can't notice an effect it's 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 usually you know says that they're probably the best effects but um you know i i have to admit the the, the aforementioned and the recently discussed on the podcast um you know a avengers infinity war uh obviously that pretty much every frame in that film was a was a was a vfx shot but you know the the, the storyline and the characters and everything was so um so engaging and so well done that 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 you know you don't really think about it and i think that's when it's great is when you can't just kind of buy what you're seeing and and don't necessarily think <laughs> oh look at the cg there and all this sort of thing and of course you know a lot of that film was done that way but um, it, it worked, you know. I mean, I think even some of the costumes were were completely CG um, in that film. But uh, 
but you know it, it worked for the story and and um you know we are in a i think we are in an interesting time now where this you, you know because we can more or less do anything now um a lot of these a lot of these uh you know properties that have been around for 60 70 years you know like the like the comic book stuff for example um that that, that we grew up you, you, you know our our generation grew up sort of liking those things before it was possible to do them you know realistically or to do them looking particularly good and now you know our generation of the filmmakers that are there making it for the for the millennial generation now um you, you know and we're able to achieve that stuff and it does look fantastic um you know yes but it's funny how uh when cgi did come along it was starting to sort of really pick up that um a lot of pe- a lot of filmmakers turned to it as to be the be all and end all of things and then we soon started to realize quickly that if you didn't have the money time uh research that uh it would look pretty bad yes um c- cgi at the time was boasted to be uh you know it was going to bring down the price of production that uh you know a whole digital production would bring down the cost and of course what we've seen is the the cost of uh these big budget films skyrocket i mean if you think about it, the original um star wars and alien were made for under 10 million dollars now those films cost a hundred million dollars to make and over yeah yeah and a lot of that you know, I guess there's inflation and, the, the, you know, the cost of having stars in your films, but a lot of that money goes to the CGI. I mean, when you see all the names at the end of uh, the credits, it's, uh, you know, it's for all the, the team doing the CGI effects. No, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that's quite a good point, um, Simon, you know, about when you said that, that in the in the earlier uh, days of CG, you know, there were people that were, or there were filmmakers that were thinking it was kind of the answer to everything, and we'd get uh, we get some films that, that that maybe weren't so successful like that, and it probably that 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 probably is a really good bridge, Chris, into uh, bringing us into some of the. Uh, well, I, I mean, before we go on to the movie, how are there any other sort of? Because um, I know you research this quite heavily uh, for the podcast, which I really appreciate, Chris. But are there any other, in terms of movie heaven, are there any other sort of honourable mentions that you'd like to to to, to throw up there? And I, I know that's a hard question because there are loads, but any that 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 for you personally sort of spring to mind as as sort of touchstones over and above the ones we've already mentioned uh well um talking about the uh, not being able to see the the cg in a in a film uh i found uh blade runner 2049 quite impressive from that viewpoint i mean uh i know a lot of it was green screen and stuff like that but you really couldn't see any of the joins at all and um I felt that... Uh, can I go spoiler here? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's been out long enough. <laughs> okay, I, I thought the digital recreation of Rachel was very, very good. In fact, I thought originally that what they'd just done is matted um, Sean Young from, from the original film into the new film. 
I hadn't realised that they'd used uh, an actress of the same sort of size and build and um, uh, remapped, I think, did they remap uh, Rachel's face onto her to do the effect? And uh, apparently it took the team a year. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, it is pretty seamless, um, y- you know, that film. And, and I know, obviously, uh, Dennis Villeneuve wanted to do a lot of... Um, you know a lot of things in camera in terms of of you know actually building sets and 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 all of that sort of stuff to make the world feel very real as as did the original but um of course yeah obviously that that there's a hell of a lot of um cg in and 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 definitely to uh accomplish things like recreating uh, an actress to look as she did uh you know some 30 years or 35 years prior uh yeah and it, it does work incredibly well in the film uh, i think i think one of the things that 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 makes that work so well in sort of contrast to what we were saying about rogue one is the fact that it's it's used really sparingly because it's not like she's a main character in the film for a good portion of the film it is just a small part and and, and it works really well for that for that one scene doesn't it yeah it's it doesn't stand out so much i mean um i mean the other sort of cgi recreated character in rogue one was uh, a young princess leia and she stood out like a sore thumb <laughs> you know yeah that was yeah really I, I thought that was less successful yeah. than the peter cushion one from, from from my point of view even though you know you, you know it's not, i don't hide the fact that i i fucking love rogue one yeah. yeah but um but yeah no i i do agree and 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 that also did feel a little bit for sort of show off sake because we didn't actually need that to be honest i would have, i still i got goosebumps when we saw you know the the the, the hooded figure from behind mm. that we knew was leia yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 that would have been good enough uh but of course they had to uh they that they had to give her a line and 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 show her face and uh you know, you know good on them for doing it but i, I know what you mean it, it doesn't it doesn't quite hold up in the same way um yeah unfortunately you know, and it is very bright in, on the Tantavy. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I was just going to say that Leia's mouth in that scene fell into the same trap as uh, Flynn's, younger Flynn's mouth in, in Tron Legacy, and that it seems kind of stretched, stretched and doesn't move quite right. Um, that that was one of the, um, well, that's probably a minor point, I suppose, uh, compared to the rest, but <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, it, but it all adds to the Uncanny Valley effect. I mean, you know, you know, even if you may not see it, you unconsciously notice that there's something wrong. Yeah, that person is not there. That is, uh, it's, it's fake. No, I mean, I mean, this is the problem with technology, sort of in general, and this sort of stuff in filmmaking. To, 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 to sort, sort of quote Jurassic Park, actually, in some respects, but just, just, just because we can doesn't mean we necessarily should all the time, you know. And uh, I, I have to admit, there are some things that are done for sort of, um, you know, show off effects' sake, and uh, you know, it's, it's not always necessary. Um, you know i'm I'm not meaning to like we do quite often pick on the 
on the special editions of Star Wars, but you, you know the whole thing with Jabba the Hutt being in 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 that scene. You know, again, that was that was purely to sort of show off that they could. It, it actually was completely unnecessary, and uh, obviously, it's been changed about four bloody times yeah. <laughs> since yeah. it came out. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's sometimes sometimes do we need it to tell the story? Do we need it to believe the world? you know not not always but hey you know at the same time without doing it they don't push these things forward so uh it's all good i guess yeah <laughs> i mean the thing about um the uh prequels was there they were one big massive uh tech reel you know i mean that was i believe was it one of the uh, phantom menace was like one of the first films where there were so many uh CGI shots and and stuff like that because I mean a lot of it was shot on green screen. Yeah, yeah, and you can tell, yeah. and you can tell, and and you know the well Jar Jar Binks. We don't even need to go there, but um, <laughs> but 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 I mean, what one of the things one of the things I was really happy to see in the Last Jedi, for example, is I'm glad we went back to puppet Yoda operated by Frank Oz mm. because. I actually preferred that much more than than CG Yoda, even though they did CG Yoda very well. Yeah, uh, I, there was still something about seeing the Empire Strikes Back one. He was a puppet in Phantom Menace. Yeah, but they got it totally wrong, didn't they? Look, he looked bloody ridiculous. <laughs> well, he's supposed to be younger. <laughs> well, yeah. Hold on, hold on. A nine hundred year old creature, right? Would thirty years make that much difference yeah. out of nine hundred? That something troubled me. That did, you know. <laughs> I, I always wanted to see him with a massive quiff. That would be really awesome. Hey, nothing wrong with massive quiffs. Um, Absolutely Chris. not. That's why I want to see Yoda with one. That'd be great. This. <laughs> Uh, youth so there's uh, there's something for Disney uh, young Yoda or something and uh, make, make a film of that dapper Yoda when he was living in his cool apartment on Coruscant <laughs> <laughs> with his quiff and his leather jacket and a comb and you oh, know wow. all that matters to him is his hair yeah there you go there's your next project Chris <laughs> young Yoda <laughs> nah. D- Disney will sue you yeah. won't they yeah <laughs> The young, the young Yoda Chronicles. Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm right. I'm right in saying though uh, that they went back in uh, subsequent versions of Phantom Menace and replaced the puppet with a, a CGI digital. Yeah, they did. They did, which actually looked more like he should. But again, yeah, what, what the fuck? But hey, hey it's the Phantom you know. Menace, man. You know. It's, yeah there you go there you go hey uh, we're just old bastards by saying this because there are there are kids out there that fucking love it so um you know good good, good on them good i guess them. you know whatever indeed indeed although uh, they do think that greedo shot first so yeah. there you go i, w- I was going to say that's a whole nother podcast and then realize that half of our podcasts have been about that anyway so just <laughs> folks just go just go back and listen to the back catalog guys you know <laughs> well, yeah i mean that's that's the other thing about cgi that's is quite distressing is the fact that you can go back and you can change so much uh within the within a film when uh, it would have been harder to do photochemically. I mean... Yes, 
Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. all, all the changes that have happened to the original trilogy. I mean, it just it it was as I was quite happy that Disney took the films off uh, Lucas's hands because he just couldn't help himself from changing things. He couldn't help but tinker. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, this is obviously one of the advantages of digital filmmaking is once it's in the digital realm, it means the image is malleable, which obviously optically um, was a lot less so and and obviously a lot more expensive to do so as well so um yes you, you know uh by by having the assets uh by keeping the sort of digital assets you can obviously yeah go back and and tweak and change and you, you know move and do all sorts of stuff but uh but yeah i don't know a- any any other honorable mentions chris before we go into hell okay uh lots of pixar stuff uh wally i saw again uh the other evening and that that was wonderful uh monsters inc first two toy stories uh the incredibles um just having a look through my notes i mean all of those films that are purely cg you know like the animated films um especially the Pixar ones that, you know, they, they, they do work really well. Um, you know, with live action films, it's, it's kind of, it is a bit more hit and miss, isn't it? And I use live action with air quotes there, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got an honorable mention for you and, um, I'm surprised we've not mentioned this so far, but, uh, the, uh, the starships in the last starfighter, well there you go there's early cg yes indeed yes they were yeah i mean again the 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 concept of the story of it being about uh a a kid who plays a video game and he gets a high score and then finds out that the game he's playing is actually happening out in out in space and uh you know uh all the sort of um space stuff was you know cgi and um there was a, a lot of it. I mean, the fact that it took, I believe, like over a year to render all the all the images that were used. You know, wow. You know, it, that was that was the thing about CGI back in those days was was the time it took. I mean, you had to have so many sort of computers networked together to do all this stuff, and of course, you had to sort of get it right the first time because to go backwards to change things would take so long and another reason why it's sort of the shapes of them were kind of simplistic was because it took so much to to sort of render these images out but um yeah the last starfighter you know a great sort of great story and uh, a great use of uh, of cgi you know it, it it worked for that film i mean it sort of looks a lot like uh you know the images from tron yeah it's been a long time since i've seen it actually but uh um yeah i remember it being you know quite impressive at the time mm. um you, you know uh but as i said i don't know how it would hold up now because i can't really remember you know it, it holds up it holds up kind of well i mean it's it's not photorealistic but it, it works as i say because you know it's part of that sort of computer game video game world so you know from seeing what the game is like 
to actually sort of seeing him, you know, battle these ships for real. You know, it works. It, you can you can put your disbelief on the shelf and, and watch it, and it's fine. Just because it it works within the the constraints of that story. Yeah. Yeah, because it is about essentially video games and all that. Yeah. So yeah, no, that that makes sense. I mean, th- one one I've got to ask you guys about because, um, as you know, I know you were a fan and and I didn't really watch it, but um, how were the uh, how were the space effects in Babylon Five? Because I know they were doing those. It, with CG at a time when other shows like Star Trek were still doing it with with miniatures and motion control and stuff. So, I mean, how, how did that stuff, I don't really remember any of it and haven't seen it, but how, how, how did that stuff sort of hold up? It worked fine. I mean, this, this was one of the first TV series to have big battles in it. And, you know, you had ships of huge size going up against little ships and stuff like that. I mean, it wasn't photorealistic, but it, it it worked. And, you know, it made that show a lot more epic than if they'd gone with models. I mean, it, it just, it, it worked really well. It worked for the aesthetic of the show then, rather than as a... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, as I, I re-watched the series recently, and, you you, you, you know, it's part of the, the charm of that show is is the the effects they use you know for the space battles well all of it i mean the space station uh all the ships the flybys you know i mean they do that i mean what was very good as well was that the uh the opening shot for each episode would show you a different part of the the station it was never the same shot used you know again and again that, I mean, that was one of the restraints with a show like Battlestar Galactica, the original, was that they had to keep using the same effect shots over and over again. So you would always get the... Uh, every time they went <laughs> up against the Cylons, you'd see that the, the one shot, the Cylon ships coming towards the screen. And then when they're, yeah. you know, fighting, you would either get the, the one of the... sort of from a distance or the... Or the Viper flying through the explosion after the Cylon ship explodes. You know, it's, it's always the same stuff. But you didn't mind it because, you know, it was exciting and, you know, just worked for those episodes. Yeah, yeah. Well, their miniature and optical effects in, in the first place were absolutely superb. But obviously, because they could only afford to do so many, and plus they had to turn those shows around so quickly, um, you know, in, in the post-production um, process, then, yeah, they, they, they did have to keep... Um, using a lot of shots the same and sometimes it was literally within the same scene so it was it within sort of 10 seconds of having seen the same Cylon Raider explode in exactly the same manner and all this and they just flopped the shot or whatever yeah but uh well I mean the the worst uh, offender for that was Roger Corman um the effect shots (laughs) he used for Bat Beyond the Stars ended up being used in tons of his um sci-fi films to a point where there was a another film where they literally it was just every space shot was made up from the the shots from uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 uh it's it's interesting how it's all gone and, and it and it's great because you think we 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 
our generation kind of grew up through that entire thing because I'm, you know, I remember as a kid thinking all that stuff was just bloody brilliant. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's it's like wow, you know, I used to think wow, you know, this 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 stuff is amazing and um, uh, yeah, it's it's come leaps and bounds. And I think, well, I think I think it's the same as we're about to say with with CG as as it was with 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 models and 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 optical effects. You had you had some films that did it absolutely brilliantly you know and then you had others where it wasn't quite so successful and um you you, you know any others chris that you want to that you want to highlight uh good films um well uh prometheus had some very impressive special effects in it um did i yeah i didn't think it was such a great film it was a bit of a mess to be honest story-wise but um but I, th- I thought uh, most of the special effects were absolutely peerless. Um, the the atmospheric uh, effects on the planet when the Prometheus sat down and the smoke and the wind and the storms and uh, just everything was just absolutely fantastic. Really, really well done. No, thank you for mentioning that, Chris, because myself and Simon always try and get something from the Alien franchise in in the uh, in in each episode. So you did it for us, brilliant. Though saying that, though, um, as much as the space effects in uh, Alien Covenant were good. The actual effect of uh, the CGI of the alien looked terrible. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Especially, uh, have you not seen it? No, I've not. Pirouette. Well, yes, there's there's that, but I was to say we won't ruin it for for Chris because you know. Oh right, you not seen it, Chris? No, I have. Oh, I'm surprised. Okay. Um, I, I have I have a Blu-ray I can loan you. So, um, <laughs> when, when, I, when, when I'm in Bournemouth next, I'll uh, I'll bring it down with me. And, yeah. uh, okay, great. The commentary on it, by the way, is fabulous. Uh, you know, so we really must, must do, do a, a show, show about, about that. that. Yeah, does, does he explain why he, he fucked up the series? Uh, wow. Well, let's let's not go that far. But no, it, it is a very interesting listen, though. But um, any any anywho, um, anywho, yeah. mo- 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 moving on. So, all right, we quickly, quickly. Let let let's let's talk about um, Chris. What's your pick for movie hell? Then your CG movie hell pick. <laughs> okay, I, I watched. Uh, you probably know uh, know this. I. Uh... Uh, I vacillated about this one and uh, I watched a number of quite terrible films <laughs> and uh, yep. eventually settled on uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome to the League. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so annoying because it, it, on paper, I mean, I know it's from a graphic novel. I, I, I understand that. But on, on paper... I was really excited about the idea of this film because you you you, you know mixing mixing all those literary characters uh on an adventure uh you know with some great actors and stuff I thought oh this is going to be awesome but I haven't rewatched it but I must admit my memory of it is it was actually absolute pants <laughs> yeah um, oddly, um, and and this um, actually, I guess there's a point to be made about the difference between watching a film on on DVD and Blu-ray. 
uh, because when I watched this on Blu-ray, uh, well, when I watched it originally on DVD, on Blu-ray, fucking hell, okay. it is. <laughs> yes, I I have proof. You'll never be short of a coaster at my house. Um, <laughs> but um, when I originally watched uh, a League on uh, on DVD, I didn't didn't think the CG was actually very good at all. And I've just rewatched it on Blu-ray, and actually the effects are a fair bit better than I thought they would be. Um, and as such, I, I'm, I'm a, a bit of a miss, really, to sort of have a go at the effects so much. I seem to remember, though, that they didn't make any sense. Like, you had the the Nautilus going through... Um uh was it venice or something that they yeah, yeah and, and it was like it was like hold on a second you want me to buy that this fucking great submarine that, that you know that captain nemo has is going along the little canals in venice or whatever i just thought that was like i just remember at the time thinking what the fuck you know <laughs> Uh, and, uh, of course you're absolutely right and it, it does make no sense at all you're thinking well you know there are all these bombs under venice and you're thinking surely that bloody submarine will do more damage to venice than those exactly bombs well, would, you know. i seem to remember i mean th- th- you know sadly this was the last film connery did before retiring and he also was a producer on this film but I, re- I distinctly remember he had a line in the film that actually summed up how I was feeling when I watched the film and that was like he went so far I'm yet to be impressed and I thought yeah me too (laughs) Uh, yeah that's absolutely true I mean not only the the bit with the the, the Venice um, but also there's a bit at London docks where they I think they first see the Nautilus and um, it kind of rises up out of the water and I'm thinking London docks can't be that deep, can they? <laughs> this like colossal submarine comes out out of the water, and it kind of reminded me. Um, do you remember those old Godzilla cartoons from the seventies? Oh yeah, oh, oh Godzuki. yeah. And yeah. You, you always had that bit with the monster when, was menacing the people on the ship, and they'd call Godzilla with their remote control or whatever, and Godzilla would just kind of rise up out of the water as if he was on some sort of elevator. <laughs> and it, and it kind of reminded me of that in a way that this submarine just kind of comes up, and I'm thinking. How did that come out of London docks? You know, it's this gigantic submarine. Yeah, well, this was the problem. You know, you know, we say about special effects is all about sort of suspending your disbelief and whatever. But if something actually just doesn't make any sense anyway, you know, it it it, it makes it that much harder. I mean, uh, I know you 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 guys are, are, are comic guys. Uh, had you read, the, uh, you know, the graphic novel that this was based on? No, unfortunately, I've not. Um, I, I, I've heard, I've read some of the the, the points of the the story of it, and uh, apparently this differs greatly. But uh, no, I'm a big fan of Alan Moore, but I've not read that one. No, I haven't read it either. But uh, no, I, I'd heard of it stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, because we, well, you've sort of answered my question anyway. Because I wondered, you know, whether how close the film was to Alan Moore's, you know, graphic novel. But obviously, it, it, it differs apart from sort of the overall premise. I guess it's it's quite different, is it? Uh, yeah, apparently so. Yeah. And like I said, they had to change some of the characters because of licensing. Oh, of course, yeah, because you've got that many many characters from different uh, intellectual properties and whatever put into... um, yeah, in, in, into one film, I guess. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. it gets down to rights and what studio owns what and who optioned what and all that sort of legal nonsense, right? Yes, <laughs> because uh, originally it was The Invisible Man, but we got uh, 
the uh, gentleman thief instead all oh, right okay fair enough not quite not quite as exciting but there you go um <laughs> No, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I remember I was excited to see this um, because I thought, oh, what a what an intriguing idea. And, uh, y- y- you know, I liked a lot of the people involved and all this sort of thing. But I just remember, you know, the, just just sort of coming out thinking, well, what a fucking mess that was, mm. you know, and a lot of it and a lot of it, you know, what was down to so, the sort of nonsensical plot. But also uh, I seem to remember at the time thinking that the the the. the you know the early CG imagery that was used in this was 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 pretty poor. I have to say, I, I apart from one or two effects, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, the the use of them in the story, yeah. I mean, as you say, the uh, the ship going through uh, Venice is like wow. That there's no way it could even, you know, it, it would only get a few feet <laughs> within to the canals and it get would get stuck. But um, I, I just remember it was the um, Mr. Hyde effect, especially at the end <laughs> when they, uh, the bad guys had the formula and had a super hide. Uh, yeah. That's when that looked pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, mm. it looked like someone had taken all his skin off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have rewatched it. I should have actually rewatched it for this because it has been a long time yeah. since I saw it. But uh, uh, for story and cgi effects i think i can do one better um my pick for hell is spawn oh the todd mcfarlane thing yeah, yeah? is that is that right That's yeah, right, yeah yeah i i i again i've not seen it for a long time since it, it came but i seem to remember he had some sort of really bad cg cape or something is that right <laughs> well that's the least offensive uh offender of cgi in it um they decided to do um, Hell with this really sort of bad CGI effect of... Uh, it wasn't the devil, but the, the, the sort of ruler of Hell. And they had all these sort of mini spawns where obviously they had three or four people in costume doing like a, a cheering effect and then just sort of, you know, placed them all over the place. So you can really tell it's just, you know a couple of people just doing the same thing uh just being rocked back and forth uh i mean the the whole um vindicator uh he he looked great as a puppet but when he was cgi effects he looked awful as you say the the cape i don't really remember much about that film i have to say so it did it obviously didn't leave much of an impression i know but i mean the crazy <laughs> thing was it had martin sheen in it as the bad guy did it really okay they really did, yes. Wow. I used to read Spawn a lot and sort of the sort of all those sort of Todd McFarlane's uh, comic books. And they were like a hard R, you know, 18 over here. So when they did the Spawn movie, they made it a 12. Of course they did. <laughs> yeah, 12, 15. They, they really toned it down. And unfortunately, <laughs> doing that, it, it sort of, cut most of its sort of gusto you know the the thing that you know really made it good uh i know they did a an animated series as well at the same time which was a lot better a lot better but i think also they had a lot of time to divert the characters and stuff but uh yeah it was just it was a heavy reliance on on cgi and uh 
unfortunately they didn't have the money to sort of make it look the best it could at the time oh maybe maybe this is one that's up for a reboot is it do you think i believe it is actually yes i believe they're mm. looking at, at redoing it again uh, as a feature film and um who knows because now um you know rated 18 sort of R comic book heroes is kind of in vogue especially after the the kind of money that Deadpool made well between Deadpool and Logan it's kind of shown that uh, you can have a you know a more adult um, themed uh, superhero film and it's still okay so yeah yeah Yeah, it'll make money yeah Yeah. absolutely well you know I'll be interested if we uh if we see that again because i i seem to remember the 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 actual premise and idea was pretty good mm, yeah. it's just that the uh the, the the film itself didn't really sort of deliver no um i mean it's it's one of those uh kind of films that's it's so bad it's good uh <laughs> i'm sure it's quite okay. a few people's guilty pleasures just because of um of the act who played the vindicator um oh is it john legazzo I don't think I've said that right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I know the actor you yeah. mean. Yeah, yeah, he's very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a lot of fun as the Vindicator. I mean, he was probably the best uh-huh. thing in it. But as I say, when he went from the clown into the uh, the creature, it looked terrible. I seem to remember, again, I'm not sure if it was CG or not, but I, I, I we've, we've already discussed it a little bit because I picked it as a... Um, a movie hell when we did a, a Stephen King episode and uh, that was the even though it's not officially him anyway but you know he had his name removed but the the lawnmower man oh yes yeah. <laughs> had had some pretty uh, pretty ropey effects um, it was a pretty ropey movie as well yeah. but uh, I, I seem to remember that was bad it wasn't too bad when it was in the virtual world I mean, it, it it worked well there. It's just when they came into the real world, when we had all the sort of CGI bees and uh, people being turned into ping pong balls. <laughs> yeah. And the, Ooh, uh, okay. The poor uh, the priest that was set on fire. That was that looked really bad, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah, that was a terrible effect. I mean, they, you know, uh, yeah. No, the 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 the, the uh, stunt work live action would have worked much better than trying to do it the way they did mm. but uh yes indeed um any any other mentions chris any other movie hells that you want to there are so many yeah you get well this is the trouble there are i mean this is this whole this whole thing around visual effects um it really is you know we're, we're like peeling the onion here it is it's such a massive um massive topic you can almost have a, a podcast dedicated purely to uh talking about the history of movie visual effects you know because yeah. <laughs> because it's so involved but um well i tell you a cgi effect i don't like and it gets used a lot in low budget films is uh cgi uh muzzle flashes oh yes yeah yeah they it always looks fake it always looks like you know that they're 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 playing with toy guns and in post somebody's just you know found a filter in after effects of muzzle flashes and just sort of put the same one on it all the time i was gonna say and those little sparks always come off cars as well where the bullets are supposed to hit them that mm. <laughs> they're always unconvincing as well especially um actually in, in red too um 
when they're, they're driving the Lotus after the, the the helicopter or something, and um, people are shooting at the Lotus, and there are little sparks where the bullets are bouncing off the Lotus, and I'm thinking, that bodywork's made of fiberglass. They go right through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that good old movie trope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing as well. CGI blood gets used quite a bit these days. It, it always always looks fake it doesn't it, it never looks uh, like the real deal right, hence why tarantino he said you know when when he was doing um uh um Django and, and they, they were like did you did you use any any CG and he was like hell no that was all claret mate you know <laughs> it's like using using the real deal you know it's like <laughs> but but I I think I think a lot of the reasons now that that sometimes they use CG um blood is is again it's about um being able to release a a you, you know they they went through a thing a few years back where you'd get an r rated and an unrated version on on home media yeah and and essentially often that the only difference was um you know you know the unrated edition would have more blood in and the way it would have more blood was it was essentially cg yeah. and and uh, they would obviously f- f- to get a an r rating or whatever at the at the cinema they would they would reduce the amount of gore and blood, um, y- y- you know. So I, sometimes it's done for that reason. I think it's actually worse now because uh, they don't go for an R now. They're going for a PG thirteen or a twelve. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because yeah. they're after that teenage market. So yeah, it's a, a lot of these things are very bloodless in the theatre. But then when it comes out to the home release, uh, suddenly there's a whole lot more blood. Uh, yeah. But the thing is, with CGI blood, you you can tell. I mean, you, you can just tell it's fake. Well, again, sometimes it looks good to um, a little bit like we discussed with Virginia, where you can have it with with practical blood as well, um, and, and you can just enhance it. You know, if you want to make something really ridiculously gory, and y- y- you know, you can you can um, you can add to uh, which again is. is well, it's back to what we were saying about stuff works best when it's used to um, enhance something rather than, you, you know, as a replacement for. Oh, I, the, the other thing I don't think ever works, um, I've, I've seen quite a few sort of low budget films do this, is uh, where they shoot the whole film green screen. Uh, yeah. And so what you have is uh, actors standing in front of a green screen acting as if they're somewhere. When clearly, you know, you know, they're standing in front of a green screen. I mean, it makes for a very boring film. I mean, there are exceptions, like the first Sin City, which was obviously done that way for a specific, um, for a specific uh, aesthetic. What I'm talking about when I'm, t- I'm saying about this is, um, you know, Sin City was an action-packed, moving, you know, pe- you know, it was, it was really well shot. So the fact that it was shot in a green screen studio yeah is different to being shot in front of a green screen when i say being shot in in front of a green screen i'm talking about something that's probably like a a rolled you know like a rolled down screen you get for a projector so everything's like a medium shot and it's just maybe two or three actors standing there talking to each other where they got some sort of you know uh cgi background oh yeah yeah yeah. i mean yeah that always looks a bit naff doesn't it yeah. yeah yeah so i'm not talking about when they shoot in front of a green screen and they're moving around and you know you, you 
don't really notice it or if you do notice it it's still you know it's part of the film i'm talking about when you know they done it as i guess like an aesthetic choice or you know they thought well this instead of us going out to locations we'll just use this green screen and we can you know we can just sort of put in the backgrounds and it looks like they're there when clearly they're not and i'll, I'll give you a few examples i mean the first uh really low budget film i saw like this was called trash house and it was literally like one actor standing in front of a green screen talking to camera to the other obviously and it cuts the other person responding and you know it just it looked terrible it looked absolutely terrible and then um alex cox did it for his sequel to repo man which was called repo girl oh right and it was awful absolutely awful wow and I don't think the uh, the sort of acting in it was great either. <laughs> well, there you go. You are on for a, a bad one if you've got bad acting and bad backdrop. They, they, <laughs> it's like, but uh, any any others, Chris, that you want to um, single out? I, I think it'd probably be remiss of me not to mention um, a certain Bond film. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is is this one with that begins with die and ends with day? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, is it something to do with surfing, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You know. That's special, and um, the, the the bit where Halle Berry dives off the the cliff to land in the water to be rescued by the boat as well that doesn't it kind of blurs in an odd way and it looks kind of funny and that's not very convincing really either if i'm perfectly honest yeah I'm, i must admit bond, bond movies you, you know that 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 was the first bond movie where you could see that you, you know they went for the uh cg in a in a big way and uh you know i know lots of people who criticize it for that for that very reason but um but you know it had a lot of other problems as well that film but uh but you know uh, it but did, yeah. halle berry helped it in my opinion but uh you know <laughs> but uh yeah. i mean if i can put a positive spin on it i mean the great thing to come out of die another day was it forced a complete reboot of the franchise so oh there you go it did indeed yeah yeah so um you sound like you're flicking through notes there, Chris. Are you, yeah, yeah. That's right. all right. Looking for more terrible films, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't really like talking about terrible films. Well, I know you, you, you agonised quite a bit over this when we talked about it as to what you were going to pick for both heaven and hell, and I, I feel your pain because I always have the, uh, <laughs> the, the same dilemma, and uh, you always feel that you're betraying the films you don't mention, and uh, um, y y y y you know. <laughs> And 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 the, and the ones you do might not necessarily be as bad as as you, as you thought they were and stuff. So I I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, I mean, it's a it's a collaborative and creative process. And uh, you know, filmmaking is a lot like uh, games making, really. And uh, sometimes you're working on a great game, and sometimes it's not such a great game. And and obviously, it's the same for film. And uh, it's really, you know, you're you're paid to do a job and to do the best job you can given the time and the and the budget you're given. So, 
sometimes the, the effects aren't so great, but you wonder how long they had to do them and uh, under what circumstances they were made and, and whether it was a rush shot to cover for something else or... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's really, well, I- it's really hard to tell and, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I'm going to big you up a little bit here, Chris, because... Um, because I happen to know that you're, and I'm very envious of this fact, but you are a man that actually has a BAFTA on your mantelpiece. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, with a with a with a caveat that it's a team BAFTA. So well, yeah, it no, it's a, it's a team. Yeah, so but still, you, you, I, I know, I know, but you still you have a BAFTA. You know, your team had a BAFTA. Are you able to uh, Are you able to share with the the listeners? You, you know what what project that was that that, that you guys won the BAFTA for? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, in the late nineties, I was working at a, a studio called Rare, and uh, they'd finished Goldeneye, and they were working on a, a new science fiction game called uh, Perfect Dark. And I was uh, I worked on that for about uh, the last year and a half to two years of development, and that that was the uh, the game I got the BAFTA for. It was a, a spy drama with um, with a female lead called Joanna Dark. And it's basically like Goldeneye. She'd go to different places, and at the end, of course, she'd go to a different planet to uh, fight the uh, fight the bad guys who are called the Skidar. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a very interesting project to work on. It was it was very good, very creative uh, environment. I worked in there. It was uh, it was great. Oh, congrats! That was awesome. Yeah, and and I know a lot of people. Uh, you know, the Goldeneye um, game was 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 you know a part, quite a quite a sort of pioneer. And, and left a legacy for a lot that's followed, right? Uh, yes, it did. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a uh, yeah, and it, again, that was a game that, that that received its own BAFTA for. Um, I'm not actually sure what what it received its BAFTA for, but there, there definitely was one because my friend has it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, a- a- any 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 final final uh, films that we want to shame before we bring this to a wrap. Uh, not really. Simon? No. Uh, I can't really think of any others off the top of my head. I, I can think of one that's absolute pants, actually, in terms of CG. Um, there was a film called Talk, which was kind of like... Um, it was sort of fast and furious only on motorcycles oh yes yes it starred martin henderson um and there is towards the end of that there is a um uh bike sequence which obviously they did a lot of stuff practical in the film but they also do have a sequence where there's a bike sequence it's cg and my god it really does look like a video game it's 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 you know a video game of the 90s or whatever you know it it it, it, it's really really unconvincing so um that's one i've not seen in a long time but that definitely springs to mind as bad cgi that we're not supposed to notice but we do so uh, talk which is kind of as i said it was an attempt to do fast and furious but with uh with bikes and obviously it only had the one film whereas (laughs) how many are we up to now with fast and furious eight so you can see which one was more successful right (laughs) absolutely you can yes of course well i remember uh a similar film called uh driven with uh, sylvester stallone in it and there was, oh yeah, there was <laughs> there was a scene where he had to drive over these coins, 
And I remember that scene was particularly uh, horrible for CGI. (laughs) Yes, yes, I I, I remember that one being particularly bad. Yes, you know, as as someone who, who, uh, who, you know, grew up uh, enjoying Stallone films immensely, but uh, but yeah, that 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 was definitely a, a low point because <laughs> that because that was what around two thousand two thousand and one yeah. something like that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, cool. Well, um, Chris, do you want to tell us a little bit before we wrap up about this uh, this latest project you're working on and where anybody can get in touch or find it if they wish to? Uh, okay, yeah, sure. Um, the project I'm working on at the moment is called No Pets Allowed. It's uh, it's a children's book for the iPad. Um, it's, uh, it's like an interactive storybook, uh, but more old-fashioned uh, kind of thing. And it's about a little girl who lives in an apartment uh, where they're not allowed any pets. But the local zoo closes and all the pets go to stay at her house. Oh, right. Okay. And when, when is this going to be available then? Is this, this is, you said, for the iPad, yeah? Uh, yeah, it'll be available in the autumn. And uh, am I allowed to plug the website? Please do. Uh, okay. Yeah. At the moment, uh, we've got a website. It's at www.humstudios.com. Hum as in H-U-M. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. okay and uh we've got some stuff up there uh there's a movie of the first nine panels uh at the moment we've the the demo is a is a closed uh, beta but we'll be making that available probably sometime in the late summer for people to download and uh check out so yeah fabulous well done cool thanks and keith where can people find your work uh, well, if you go onto YouTube and put in British Isles, that's E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name, there are some short films that I've written, produced and directed that you can see there. Uh, in terms of other projects, if you put my name into IMDB, you can see uh, past, present and future projects there. And if you wish to get in touch, just get in touch through the uh, podcast. And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. Uh, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. It all helps. Thank you, Chris, for taking time to uh, come on and talk to us about this vast subject and and just sort of scratch the surface with it. But uh, uh, appreciate your insights and perspective on that. Oh, that's great. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me on again. No worries. And uh, please join us again for another episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell.
that's the way you do it You play the guitar on the MTV That ain't working, that's the way you do it Money for nothing and your chicks for free Now that ain't working, that's the way you do it Let me tell you, damn guys ain't dumb Maybe get a pistol on your little finger Maybe get a blister on your thumb We got to install microwave ovens Custom kitchen deliveries We got to move these refrigerators We got to move these color TVs The little faggot with the earring and the makeup Yeah buddy, that's his own hair